listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Welcome to this episode of Let the Bible Speak. I'm glad you can join us again for another of our broadcasts. Today we are going to broadcast an excerpt of a sermon entitled Warnings to Churches in America Today. The title of the subject comes from the warnings that are contained in Luke chapter 12. And so let me begin by reading the opening few verses of Luke chapter 12, and then we'll get into the message itself. We trust that the Lord will bless his word to your hearts today. Uh, these are Solomon's searching times, and it is absolutely required that we hear what the Bible has to say to our souls. Christ is very faithful as our great prophet in teaching us how to conduct ourselves in the work of God. Let's hear the word of God from Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through to the verse number 9. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts today. We'll come now to the message itself. It's an excerpt of a sermon. The full sermon is available to listen to on sermonaudio.com forward slash Malvern. You can find this sermon and others from our archives there. May God speak to your heart today. One of the first, I don't know, maybe one of the first 10 books that I read as a young Christian was Bishop Ryle's Warnings to the Churches. Uh, it was published by a Banner of Truth, and it was a war- warnings from the then Bishop of Liverpool to the rising ecumenism in the Anglican Church of England. It was fascinating to read it. I was reading it in the, uh, the 1990s, and it was fascinating to read how far the Church of England had moved in that ecumenical direction 100 plus years after Ryle had written the book. He saw the writing on the wall. Ryle knew the times. Some would even argue he should have separated from the church in those days, but he continued on seeking to reform it, and he preached against the trends that he saw. I mention it because 
There are times when you see the writing on the wall. You see trouble in the church. And so it was for Ryle. Now, I don't claim to have Ryle's uh, prescient knowledge, but I couldn't help reading this section and seeing warnings for the churches today. And so the title of Ryle's book came to my mind as I read through the verses. I thought, yes, here are warnings to the churches. You see, the structure of this section is very interesting. Look at verse number one, where Christ says, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. Then verse number four, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, but I shall forewarn you who ye shall fear. And then verse number, 20, or verse number 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. And so there are these three sections that all have the sense of warnings addressed to the disciples at that time. Christ is giving warnings to the churches. And as he gives the warnings, he follows up the warning with the same antidote. The same solution is given in each of the three sections. And you're going to see that, I hope. So there are these warnings to the churches. Now, before you think I'm throwing stones out the window, the warnings that are given to churches in America today apply to this church also. If you're a church in America, as we are, well, then the warnings that Christ gives to others, he gives to yourselves as well. And there are three of them. And the first warning is that we must beware of hypocrisy. And the Lord, he spells out the poison, and then he gives the antidote. So that's the section, that's the structure. Kids, again, it's very easy. There's a warning, there's a poison, there's an antidote. That's all you need to follow today. Okay, the first warning, beware hypocrisy. What is the poison? Verse number one, he says, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he tells us what it is, which is hypocrisy. The use of the leaven is, uh, of course, speaking about influence. You think of 1 Corinthians 5, just listen to verse number, uh, verse number 6, where it says there, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, purge out therefore the whole leaven. There's that imagery using where a little bit of that raising agent then has the influence upon the, uh, the whole flower. A tiny amount has influence on the whole And so the Lord is saying to the people here, the example of the Pharisees could have an infective influence. Their poison could pollute the church. He says, beware, speaking to the disciples first of all, verse number one. There's a company here, but he's he's eyeballing the disciples. He's warning them of hypocrisy. The true child of God should not miss the warning. We know Judas was a hypocrite, but the other eleven were not. They were there under the word of God, and the warning came to them all. So do not let this pass by your own soul. There's a warning here. Beware the leaven of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy word that's used here was used in the theatrical world at the time of putting on a mask. It's the idea of pretense, pretending to be someone that you're not, the sense of the word. And we see the marks of hypocrisy in the Pharisees in the previous chapter, didn't we? 
You go back to chapter 11, verse number 44, where the word is used. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. In other words, there was a pollution within them which was not apparent to see. What was true inside was not evidenced outside. And so they whited themselves. They were whited sepulchers according to Matthew. And they covered up their pollution internally with external cleanness. That's what hypocrisy is in a religious sense. And what you see within their own, uh, their own experiences, well, the, the opinions of men mattered more than the word of God. Religion was about self and not service. There was a love for the world more than love for God. There was this external conformity to man-made standards without any desire to have a heart that was pleasing before the Lord. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. So what about evangelicals today? If you've done any evangelism, I mean any at all, at some point somebody will say to you, I'm not going to be a Christian. Christians are all a bunch of hypocrites. Heard that? We all hear that, don't we? We're accused of the unsaved, of being in a church and being religious, but perhaps they know someone who's cutthroat in business, ruthless, uncaring. Perhaps they know somebody else and they're just a gossip and a slanderer. Perhaps you know somebody else and they're just, they're so judgmental in every little thing that, well, really there's, there's no sense of grace and kindness in their souls. And there are some who know Christians and they say, well, they just can't be trusted. I can't rely upon their word. They're not reliable. They're not, they're not faithful. The church is full of hypocrites. And is there not some truth in that? Are we really above reproach in these things? Now, in passing, Christians, true Christians, cannot be accused of hypocrisy. The ungodly say, you're full of sin. And we say, yeah, you're right. You've got that right. But that's not hypocrisy, that's honesty. That's accepting the fact that we are not what we want to be. And the charge of hypocrisy is a tremendous opening for the glory of the grace of justification. Where Christ covers our sins. But however, I know they're not talking in those terms, but they are referring to the inconsistency they see. Now what is said and professed is not always consistent with what they see. The late R.C. Sproul's ministry, Ligonier Ministry, they do a state of theology survey every couple of years. This year's was interesting. Again, it always is interesting. The 2020 survey, they, they surveyed about 3,000 people. March 2020. And amongst that group, there is a subgroup with those with an evangelical affiliation. In the recent survey, it made up 582 people. Small sample, okay? So I'm going to say it's a small sample. But it's not of interest. They defined the evangelical this way. An evangelical in their survey was defined as people who strongly agree with the following four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Secondly, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
Thirdly, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. Fourthly, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. I hope all of you would call yourself an evangelical in those definitions. You ought to. It's broad, but it's there. It's the one they chose. So I'm just giving you what they chose as defining an evangelical. So with that in mind... How did these evangelicals, as they self-profess to be, how did they answer certain questions? Well, there was a question. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Of these evangelicals, 51% were either not sure or agreed. 51% were unsure or agreed that God accepts all religions, including Islam. There was a question. Sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. 23% either not sure or disagreed. 23% were unsure whether sex outside of marriage was a sin. Abortion is a sin. 24% were either not sure or disagreed. Gender identity is a matter of choice. 32% either were not sure or agreed. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. 28% were either not sure or agreed. Now, the numbers are so close that you wonder were the same people answering the same way. But these were self-professed evangelicals who were unclear regarding the fundamental ethics of the Christian faith. Yet, 90% of those people said the Bible was the highest authority of what they believed. So 90% say the Bible is the highest authority, and yet you have a quarter and even a half regarding religion unsure as to what they believe. There's a disconnect between faith profession and conviction regarding ethics and faith and practice. What's going on? The world, they've got cause to say, all is not as it seems. Is there intentional hypocrisy here? I think we should acknowledge that hypocrites take two forms. There are some who deliberately go and pick up the mask. They deceitfully plan day by day to put on a performance. Children, you're often guilty of it. You're deliberately hypocritical in front of your parents. You're deliberately hypocritical in front of this church or perhaps your teachers. You deliberately go about to deceive. There are others though. And they're, they're, they need to hear the warning here. Beware of the potential of the leaven of the Pharisees in your own soul. Now, undoubtedly, there are liberal church teachers who are deliberately, maliciously being hypocritical. They are the agents of Satan, and they are spreading these lies in churches. And therefore, through that, the leaven of the Pharisees creeps into the church. So you get evangelicals, so-called, sitting in pews who have no idea what they should think or believe. So is Christ's warnings to the church is irrelevant today? Absolutely not. 
And is it possible that some of you in the so-called conservative right will not bit by bit find your convictions eroded because the level of the Pharisees is out there in the world today. And you're going to go soft on marriage. You're going to go soft on abortion. You're going to go soft on the things that really matter in today's world. Christ is the only way. And you'll go soft on that and you'll say, well, these, these Muslims, they're genuine people. These Jews, well, sure they believe in Jehovah. And you're going to go so soft on those things that the very erosion of what it is to be a Christian will happen before your very eyes. Christ's warnings to the churches are as relevant today as they ever were. So what is the antidote? Well, we have the antidote in verses 2 and 3, and it is a sense of the final judgment. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. These words are self-explanatory. Paul gives a theology behind him in Romans chapter 2 and the verse number 16 when he says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. We are seeing final judgment here when secret thoughts and whispered words are exposed publicly on the day of judgment. I think the Lord is deliberately working upon the listeners here who are concerned what men think about them. And he's saying, you want to be liked by men, be aware on judgment day that your secret thoughts and words will all be made known. But in so doing, of course, the Lord is undermining their conviction that they can get away with their sin because what really matters in the end of it all is that the omniscient God knows their hearts and knows their thoughts and hears all their words and therefore will judge them for all of those things. And so children, I trust you were not offended when I said that you're often guilty of deception and hypocrisy My desire is not to offend, but to be very direct and very honest with you. You will not get away with it. You can't hide it forever. And even you manage to hide it all your life. On the final day, judgment reveals it all. I've seen children being raised up in strict Christian homes. And there's generally outcomes that are easy to see. There are those who really know the Lord. And they walk with God and they continue to walk with God and nothing will ever shake them. But there is this subgroup who are keen to please parents and please church. Some of them get the point, what's the point? It's not worth it anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. To pot with all that, I'm just going to go and do my own thing. And so what happens? We have people, families in this church who can think of loved ones who have done their own thing. But there are others. They get married. And they have children. And they continue with the pretense. They continue the performance. It's easier to be a hypocrite than it is to face the consequence of being honest and confessing your sin. Could there be such in this church? 
I don't know, but Christ says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware it, beware it, beware it. Second thing, Christ warns, he says, beware the fear of man. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Now, now, partly I, I wonder where some of the answers to the questionnaire are a reflection of the fear of man. The fear of the majority opinion regarding ethics and pluralism. If I really stand for truth, I'm going, to, I'm going to be opposed to others around me, and therefore they embrace falsehood because of fear of man. But I don't think there's a strict connection in the passage in those things. I'm just putting that out as a possibility. The poison that Christ mentions here is clearly the fear of man. Verse number four, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Christ here is speaking to the disciples, verse one. We have that there to the disciples first of all. And then in verse number four, but I say unto you, my friends. John 15 refers to the friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Christ calls his disciples, his friends. And yet to these friends, he gives them a word of counsel, a word of warning. Matthew covers it in a parallel, Matthew 10. You can turn back there quickly. Matthew 10 and the verse number 28. You have a similar parallel warning. Matthew 10, verse number 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then back in verse number 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as servants and harmless as doves. It's a sending forth the disciples and the, the warning that they may fear man. Now, I think that same company is in view. Because when you go down to Luke chapter 12 again, back to Luke 12. And you'll see the verse number 11. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought higher what things you'll answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. Matthew 10, John 14 through 16, and here Luke 11, or Luke 12, sorry, are really highlighting the promised blessing to the disciples that they would have the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit at the time when they begin to spread the gospel. So there is a particular historical application here and context. But there is a more general sense in which it applies to us all. Verse number 8. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. And so the issue at stake here is that the fear of man will do such a thing in your soul that you will not be confident to confess Christ because of the fear of death, the fear of the body being killed. If you hold to consistently biblical views as a Christian, well, we'll suffer and there's a fear. And Christ warns the church of that fear. And you don't need to tell me or you don't need me to tell you that that fear still exists today. The antidote is again a view of judgment day. Verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Fear him. 
A right view of judgment day is the right antidote to the fear of man. It is the fear of God. It is proper for the disciple of Christ to fear hell. That is right and that is proper. Why are you a Christian? Primarily because you love Christ. You've come to see him and you've come to love him and admire him and follow him. But in the same sense, there's also this reality that I, I don't... I don't want to face eternal damnation and judgment. And so when you contemplate that, the the proper response is, I don't care what man will say. What matters to me is that I will serve God. Not that concept of the fear of God. You think of Proverbs. It's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, chapter 9 also, they use two different words for beginning in those verses. And it has a sense of the fear of God is the start and it's the totality of wisdom. You start in the fear of God and you continue in the fear of God. And it is the fear of God that is the remedy to the fear of man. Our confidence in this is that when we fear God and not man, we understand that we are valued by God. Verse number seven, you're of more value than many sparrows. So the one that you fear is the one who values you, holds you as something that is dear to him. Also, you have the confession that if you confess Christ before men, then Christ will confess you. I hadn't thought about it until right there this very minute, but it ties in with some of Solomon chapter 2. I am my beloved and he is mine. That's the mutual confession. The couple, they come to the front of a church on their wedding day. And what they're doing They're saying to the congregation, he's mine. And he's saying, she's mine. Publicly, confessing before men their attachment to the other party. And so we do not expect, how would Christ possibly stand before men and confess us? But he says he will. We confess him. I belong to Christ. And he confesses us. He belongs to me. Beware of the fear of man. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.